Jason Marin, and with me is my co-host, Teresa Unfried. Hi, Jason. Welcome back, Teresa. Thank you for having me back. Um, can you remind us all where people can find some information about you and your company online? Certainly. Uh, Taj Event Productions can be found at TajEventProductions.com. We tweet at Taj Events, and we are on Facebook under Taj Event Productions. All right, thank you. Today on the podcast, we have Richard Tatum. He's a theatrically trained event lighting designer, and he runs the lighting department at L&M Sound & Light. You can visit him and LM Sound and Light on the web at lmsound.com. In the nearly 20 years he's been doing events in the New York metro area and beyond, he's worked with just about every event designer, floral designer, event producer, and party planner around. So, Richard, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, so, I know that you and Therese already know each other. That's right. We've known each other for many years. And how is that? Well, it's all good. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, how do you how do you know? Oh, how do we know oh, each other? Well, Tell me the story. Uh, sure. Well, that just goes back. Gosh, I guess at least 10, 12 years. I would assume. I guess that uh, when I was at uh, Bentley Meeker Lighting Staging, uh, you came on board with Jason at some point, and that's how we got to know each other. I was. Uh, it was two thousand five. When I started, actually, so it hadn't quite okay. been that long. It may right. feel that long. Oh, okay, yes, all right. So about nine years. <laughs> yeah, about nine years. Uh, yeah, so. and uh, we've worked together on many, many uh, events all over the place, yeah. uh, uh, near and far. Okay. So, Richard, what are you working on right now? Well, now uh, it's the quiet time, which is great. But uh, so we're just getting ready for January, February, looking ahead. Um, but I just got finished the other night, uh, wrapping up just a whole series of holiday-related events, corporate events. Um, we did one down at World Trade Center, uh, did a big corporate holiday party at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and, uh, we actually did a function down on 14th Street, uh, for Wired Magazine, where they had a pop-up store for the past, uh, two or three weeks where we've had an installation. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, the variety is, uh, it's pretty immense, and it's always a new challenge, and there's always different different needs and different deadlines, and sometimes short-term, sometimes longer-term. But uh, most of what we do is for a one-night event. It's over and done in one evening. Okay. So to tell, tell me a little about, about the company you work for now. Sure. Okay. Well, I'm with L&M Sound and Light. I've been there for uh, five years, and uh, I'm the light designer and director of production services there. And uh, L&M Sound and Light uh, provides audio, video, and lighting design and production services to the tri-state area and beyond when we're ever asked to go beyond the tri-state area, which is rarely, but it happens. And um, we, we just provide uh, our services for uh, mostly, I would say, well, actually it's, it's gotten a lot more varied over the past few years, but for social corporate, not-for-profit events. And uh, social being, uh, you know, private, private social events, uh, wedding celebrations, um, private parties, 
of every time. Bar mitzvahs. Bar mitzvahs. Uh, always uh, a mainstay, a mainstay of, uh, of anyone in the social events business. And then on the corporate side, we do product launches. We, we work with a lot of uh, PR companies and marketing experiential firms that are introducing um, a new product or service by anyone from Visa to, well, like I said, to Wired Magazine to, it, it goes, you know, the, the range of what's possible is, uh, is pretty unlimited. It's, and generally they're a one day event where they invite guests, you know, to experience the new whatever it may be. And then we're in and out one day. I'm guessing that this is, with, with such a great breadth of client that the way you have to communicate with them is very, very different. So how is talking to a, even just about the social things, you know, in some cases you're dealing with a party planner, in some cases you're dealing with the bride, and in some cases you're dealing with a organization that's running some kind of social occasion. So even, and then beyond that, you have PR firms and you have people that know nothing about production but run productions for the company they work for. How do you figure out how to talk to each of the clients? Sure, that's a great question because uh, switching gears and changing hats has become a part of my uh, way of being now for about 15 years. And, and knowing how to speak to a social event planner with an idea of what is necessary but not any sort of technical knowledge versus a production company that let's say produces marketing and experiential events all the time. I mean, they couldn't be more different. And it's really a matter of dealing with the social event planner by and large. Uh, there are some that are more expert than others. Just coming at them with a more layman's point of view so they can understand and actually convey to their client what we're going to be doing. And also finding out from them what kind of experience or visual atmosphere that they want. So I, I don't talk to them about source floors or dimmers or any of that sort of thing. It's just like, well, what kind of ambiance and atmosphere do they want? What are we trying to create here? What is the color palette of the floral design? And, and you don't have the luxury of having kind of scenic designer already design a set with renderings and with a model that you can then sort of use as, well, do you see this? Well, we're going to add this to that. The most event planners that we have relationships with, just we've just built up a level of trust over a long period of time. So between trust and just a reputation of having done this several thousand times, they pretty much know that when I say, well, it's going to be beautiful and elegant, and it's going to be like toned like this for the beginning and like this for dancing and so on and so forth, just a few choice words of like the type of atmosphere, dynamic, elegant, um, clean. That's all that's needed. They're not looking for us to get detailed. We're gonna that's about the tables, whatever it may be. We just don't need to get into that level of of precise description of what we're about to go about and create. Because actually, and by and large, you know, for most of those types of events. And once we set the look for the evening, that's it. They walk in, the look is set, and there's no more there's no more discussion to be had beyond that because we're just done. And they say, but it's beautiful, oh, can you adjust this? You know, there might be a little request here and there, and we take care of it. 
they kind of expect what they're walking into to be what it was when they worked with you before as well. So they kind of, I'm not saying like cookie cutter, I'm just saying they know what kind of feel you're going to provide for them. Yeah. yeah they, so they kind of know yeah, what you're going to do for we, them. We have a level of trust based on many, many events sure. together and we, you know, I, I just come to them with this. I wouldn't say it's just trust me. It's not like that. It, it just, it, it's it's that based on the volume of events we've done together, and then the fact that you know they know that I've been around for a little while, that we know that they, they know that it's all going to be great, and right. it could be rocking or it could be you know quiet and you know easy, mm-hmm. you know. But they know that it's going to happen and it's going to be beautiful so it's like it's it's really all trust and then the client the actual end client walks in and goes oh wow it's, it's fantastic you know or, and they don't even know really don't know why they just know that it's all coming together and they're excited and they're going to have a great evening so right now how did you develop that trust mm-hmm. okay i've got to think about that for a second because you know, you know it's just over the course of I think two things. One, just having been alive. But number two, and I've always felt this was a really um, big part of my work and the approach I bring to the whole thing, is that I have a theatrically trained uh, background. I came out of the theater. And so I tend to feel, or I like to feel, that um, planners and event designers that we work with can sense that I com- I'm coming at things with a with a, a concept in mind. It might be a very loose concept. It might be you know, like a spring garden or something like that. It's not like we're doing Macbeth here, but uh, they, they, they understand that, that I'm coming at things with a complete visual idea in mind. And so between that and the numbers and functions and just sort of getting my vibe, I think that that has developed trust over time. I also think that well, I guess this is the other thing that's kind of funny to me anyway. I, the, it, it, it appears, though, as much as I'd like to think that, you know, we're being hired time and again for our artfulness and so on and so forth, that most people are just saying, well, you're just so easy to work with. And it's like, like that's everything. You know, you're just easy to work with. So whether you're brilliant or not is really almost kind of beside the point. Right. You know, that's just a bonus. That's just like frosting on the cake. And the fact that you got them through the whole thing they didn't have to worry, and it looked great, and the client was happy. Well, that's it. That's enough. And then, so, evidently, somehow, I exude that particular vibe to a number of people, which is great. And I, you know, whatever works. And you know, I like to think that we're being hired for creativity, but that's not necessarily always the case. So, in a lot of cases, um, you and people like you are being hired by people that plan events, not by people that throw events. Oh, yeah. All of our relationships, like 98% of them, are via event planners, event producers, event designers, and recommendations from venues. That's that's the way it works. And okay. so that's those are the people that I know. Um, so-and-so throwing a, a private party for an engagement or an anniversary or a wedding or so on and so forth, they have no idea what they need. Their event planner or venue rep or event designers would tell them what they need, and that's that's the so our relationships are all with the people who we're we're one step removed from the client basically. I might meet them briefly, but uh, 
I have very little involvement with them. So I mean, I imagine that's a little bit easier. So when when it comes to sort of trying to construct a business, that's probably a little bit easier to. Oh yeah, because I'm dealing with people that uh, you know who do this all the time. You know, I'm never dealing with the uh, with the person who's like occasionally we do. I mean, it happens. Like you and, get a mother of a bride. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's kind of fun because you know you know it's it's one of the few times where I actually have direct engagement with the actual person who's throwing the event, and you know that's that's really you know I enjoy that, but uh, it's also a luxury. I would have, I would have to say that. We don't deal with them very often because we're just telling people who know what needs to happen. Well, so you said you're theatrical trained. Um, tell me about that. Where'd you come from and how did you end up doing events? Sure. Well, so I have a bachelor's degree from Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas, uh, in 1986. And I have my master of fine arts in uh, design from Tisch School of the Arts, NYU, 1996. And um, and so I've been, actually I've been doing lighting since I was 16 years old. I, I, I saw a, well, tell us about that. I saw a show. I was, I was, I was just watching a show and I thought, and I was noticing the light. I remember it so vividly that I noticed the light, the way the light was falling on a performer. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And then. What show was it? I, it was actually a mime show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it was actually pretty good. And, and, and so. I just remember that, and uh, and that's where that's where the the ball got rolling. And uh, you know, I went to college, and and you know, I got a liberal arts degree, but I kept on taking theater classes. And all of a sudden, I was a theater major, and and then I got out, and I uh, my I had a day job. I over the course of my first several years out of school, I had a day job where I worked for a theatrical stage equipment companies during the day. So I know all about selling gel and theatrical makeup and muslin and stage lamps and you name it. Where was I? Well, actually, there was uh, two places. So in, um, in San Antonio, Texas, where Trinity was, I worked for a Texas Cena company, which has been around for a very, very long time. And then I was in Chicago for one year, and I worked for Grand Stage Company. So that was my day job. And then... And then they, they, were, they, were, and they were full service providers. Like, they provided everything you needed to do production. Yeah, you would go to them for, well, they also, beyond just selling expendables and so on and so forth, they also provided, you know, full service uh, lighting, well, lighting installations, the equipment sales. So it was all about selling equipment to colleges and theaters and institutions and so on and so forth. But that was just just for me, day job, eight to five, you know, Monday through Friday, basically. And then... And then I would freelance around town in San Antonio and then Chicago, just on these sort of, I guess what you would call in New York, the off-off uh, San Antonio or off-off, you know, Chicago off-loop theater, like I think it was called in Chicago. And so I did, you know, plays and musicals and modern dance and so on and so forth. And then I moved to New York in 1990 and... Um, Actually, went to work for C Factor Industry for a couple of years, which actually was fantastic. Um, I learned all about rigging and moving lights, and you know, I learned a lot, and it was valuable, and it was great. And so, when I went back to grad school, uh, you know, I came into grad school with you know a certain amount of practical experience that that you know I would never had otherwise, and that actually very few students had. And you know, I've been involved in everything that it took to get to the venue loading trucks and so on and so forth. So I was at C Factor for two and a half years and and 
I kind of thought after a couple of years, this isn't really why I moved to New York. And so I quit my job and went back to grad school and got out in 96. Okay. And what happened in grad school? Oh, grad school was great. I, mean, I, had a, I loved grad school. I loved learning. It was fantastic because I had I'd been working for, you know, from 86 to 93 and went back to grad school and I just loved it. And actually completely, uh, you know, I, everything I realized that I thought I knew, I had to unlearn, which was fantastic. I mean, it just completely, you know, changed, you know, how I looked at lighting, design process. Um, and in fact, I was enjoying my so much, myself so much learning that it came a time when it was time to apply for graduate assistantships. And I realized that no one knew what I could do because there was different graduate assistantships offered for various things. And I was like in a panic after my first, you know, my first year was almost up and all these GAs were available and no one knew that I had like done a lot of stuff up until that, up until that time. So I had to go on this campaign, and, and I, I really worked very hard at it, and I got a graduate assistantship, which enabled me to continue on, you know, tuition-free for the next two years. And then I got out of grad school and um, freelanced for a little while. The, the only thing I really knew outside of theater was television. And so I was actually first thinking, well, maybe I want to try, try TV out, because I was actually kind of looking for a regular thing to do. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really a great freelancer. And I knew that. It wasn't really my thing. I was kind of looking for a steady gig. And so the only thing I knew outside of theater was TV. And so I was kind of, you know, working my way in that. And then um, this ad appeared in Art Search, um, you know, the publication that is kind of a jobs bulletin board for the theater industry. Uh, special online company looking for someone who knows design and products and this, that, the other thing. And I thought, wow. That sounds interesting. So I got hired, and um, and I was invited to go to see an event that was being produced, and it was a Grammy Awards party at Roseland. And so I went in, and uh, you know, I was, even though I'd been at C Factor and I had done plenty of shows, they were all shows. I had never done a party, and and so I go in and I'm thinking. What is this? I see the bars lit. I see like lights spinning around, so on and so forth. Yeah. So I went into I went into Roseland Ballroom, and actually my girlfriend, who's not my wife, she went with me, and we were both so excited. I had like a job, and uh, you know we're we're uh, you know walking around, and uh, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, well, really? You know, people do this? You know, I was just amazed. I looked over at uh, at, at my girlfriend. And she's like filling up her plate with a bunch of shrimp from an ice bowl. And she's like, honey, this is fantastic. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, it is, isn't it? And, and, so, and so that was the beginning of it. And now I figure somewhere between three and 5,000 events later, here I am. And um, well, so, so you're working for a TV production house? Well, I did a little bit. Uh, well, that, that, that job was... No, no, that was when, so when I came on full-time, that was for Bentley Meeker Lighting. Oh, in our research. Yes. Right. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, that's right. Okay. So that, that was the ad I answered. Oh, and that was an event that they were doing. That's yeah, correct. Yeah. I see, I, I, I'm sorry, I thought that you were hired by someone that was throwing it. No, I, I had worked a little bit for um, Post Partner and Brill, you know, now known as mm-hmm. Light Design Group. I, I drafted for them, and I did a couple of things for MSNBC, 
you know, I didn't do, I dabbled, and I was, you know, it was kind of, it was plugging along, but then all of a sudden disappeared and just sort of changed everything. Because I feel like, I feel like a while ago you told me that you had attended an event at Wall Street that was for an anchor's wedding? Well, yeah, actually, Which so. I was actually the electrician on. Oh, no back, kidding. Yeah, oh, back when yeah. I was working for Storage right. in the, was it, 97, 98? That's right. Period. No kidding. Oh, well, yeah, so that was, so I was actually working for Vernon Brill at the time, and they got a call from ABC saying, hey, you know, Peter Jennings is getting married, and uh, can you go down? There's a lighting company down there that uh, uh, wants to, like, they have a proposal, so I went down, and I'm like, oh, what is this? You know, I didn't know anything about it, so I kind of, I met someone from from the lighting company that was there, and they showed me the proposal, and I thought, oh, this looks kind of interesting, pen spotting, I've never seen that before, but that sounds kind of cool. Uh, and then um, the uh, fiancé, uh, actually, I was doing a job up at the public theater as, as just a stagehand, and, and uh, the fiance offered me a ride in her black car uptown from 55 Wall, and I was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> and then, and, and so, because I, I was, I was just, I was, you know, I was just out of grad school, you know, didn't have any money, like, the whole idea of getting a black car was really cool to me at the time. I thought it was really neat. Well, walking into this industry in general for the first time is always just yeah. an eye-opening, yeah. quite so, honestly, especially those kind of venues when you're in a place like 55 Wall, like yeah. those old, old buildings, just like, what did I just walk into? <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole thing, I honestly, I still find it amazing. I mean, New York is such a epicenter of just so many things happening all the time. You know, you know, low end, middle end, high end. It, there's just so much going on here, and I, I still find it uh, pretty remarkable. Are you still designing for theater? I do it every so often when the right opportunity comes up, and I have the time for it. So, like, summer before last, I did uh, something for the New York Musical Theater Festival, which was great, and a really great director, guy I knew from college, and um, actually it was at the Signature Theater, and they had designed a repertory light plot, which was perfect. So I walked in and uh, got to design a musical. And it was a little nerve-wracking, I have to say, because if you don't design musicals every day, you're, you're you know, it, you kind of have to get used to that. Right. It, it, something that you don't just, oh, I'll just do a musical today. <laughs> um, but it, it turned out great. So I love doing theater. I used to, in the beginning, when I first really got into this, when I had like a full-time gig you know, doing special events, I tried to keep on doing theater on the side, but it was just too time-consuming. I just couldn't do it. And actually, I was losing all the, there, was, there wasn't even fun because I was just trying to get it in as best I could under the circumstances, it just wasn't working out very well. So now, I just do it on an occasional basis. But the nice thing is, whenever I do do it, it's, it's a great time because, you know, it's something I, can, I have the time to do. And, and uh, say the stuff that you just kind of, like, that, that's probably more specialty too, because exactly, like, you're yeah. able to, well, and you can dedicate that time, and it's nice to have something exactly. that yeah. you believe in. With. Yeah, well, it's a very fulfilling experience, absolutely. and uh, absolutely. so I get and you to don't do... want to just shove it in there just because you no. have the time available. No, I, yeah. I have no, I have no need to do that, and you know, it's just it's like you said, you lose the fun. Exactly. Okay, so you started working for Bellini Colletti and staging after you entered the art search ad. Yeah. So, I was, and you got to attend, you know, the event at Rose Lannis to see what they were doing. Um, 
what was the special events scene like then in the nineties? You know, what what was expected, and who were who were the players? Well, you know, I, of course, I, I got in on it not having too much prior you know experience. I was zero really, uh, and so. From what I understand, I was just riding this wave of excess that just got going back then in terms of the, the numbers of events, you know, dot coms and all this and that, and things were just going up, you know, in terms of the numbers and volumes of, of events and and the blowouts that were done, you know, during the financial, you know, heyday. I mean, things were just like, there was just so much happening. And so much happening on a very big level. And so I didn't really have anything to compare it to at the time because I was just, you know, just getting my understood. And so I was just like, well, okay, this is, I guess, the way it is. We're, we're just going to do big all the time now. And um, and so whether the pocketbooks were more open then, I, I don't really know because to me it was just the way it was. I would come from doing theater to doing this. And it was... I was just trying to deal with that on my own, you know, just trying to, wow, let's see, I used to have $5 to make the stage spend, now I have, you know, many, many times more than that, <laughs> and it was, it was great, I mean, you know, it, it's, if anything, I got vast amounts of experience just producing everything under the sun, you know, things from British Airlines, I was actually over at Chibriani 42nd Street for a good time doing a lot of, I did many, many, many functions there. And then, you know, out to the Hamptons and back and everywhere in between. So, you know, so anyway, that everything was, I mean, just rock and rolling for, I guess, you know, a long time. And then uh, four or five, well, yeah, five years ago, um, all of a sudden everything crashed. And it was like, oh, you know, and then sort of death descended upon the special event scene. And, and uh, what's peculiar is it's not like people we were working for didn't have money. They just couldn't be seen spending, spending it in, in a profligate manner. Yeah. yeah that's, Some of them. That's okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I just know that everything came to an end. Yeah. You know, and, and that was, so, you know, the changes were made and, you know, I was, uh, out on the street and you know the, of course the, the nice thing being is that I'd been around for a while so you know, some people knew who I was and I pretty much picked back up right away and I came on board L&M five years ago. L&M Sound and Light was uh, actually at, up until that point L&M Sound Design and was looking to you know expand into lighting and so I just came on board and brought what I brought which was just the fact that I'd been around for a while and people knew who I was and well that you knew what you were doing. I mean what I was doing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, we just started growing and expanding and it's all been great. And of course, you know, the kind of fun thing for me is that, you know, it is a company is also very I mean the Lou Manorino, the CEO, is uh, one of the uh, principal audio engineers of the New York Philharmonic. And so like the company really does sound, you know, great sound design for me. And so I brought my lighting, you know, repertoire with me. And so we, we offer, like, you know, in terms of lighting and sound production, it's not like a lighting company that does some sound or a sound company that does some lighting. We really, really do it. And do it at a very high level. And, um, and I enjoy 
the fact that we actually do the whole thing because I get to, you know, it's I've been wearing my lighting hat for a long time, and it's kind of nice to just you know, expand into other areas. So I wouldn't call myself a sound engineer or sound designer by any stretch, but I know enough to talk the talk and work knowledgeably with clients. So uh, much like a previous guest of ours, uh, Sean Kaufman, you created a new division in a company that already existed. That's correct. Yes. And how did you do that? What did you have to do to make that happen? Well, I just sort of hung out the shingle, basically. I mean, you know, people knew you know, where I was and just started kind of like calling. And, and the, the, the big thing being they knew who I was, but they needed to see if the company could support what needed to happen. So what, so what did you have to do to make LM able to support you? Well, the company invested in equipment, and uh, we made sure that we staffed everything wonderfully, and there was no mistakes, and that uh, we, we, spared, we, we spared no expense to, as we were getting this off the ground, to make sure it was going to go just perfectly from the first lighting event that we did, and it worked. Well, it's nice to, to have be able to to build his inventory in that respect and to bring you in and say, okay, we're going to do this. And I'm sure you gave a lot of input on mm -hmm. the gear yeah. that he was going to purchase, yeah. too. So it was like, yeah, yeah let's, we, let's do it and let's do it right if we're going to do it. We went from zero to 60 pretty fast. Pretty and, quickly, yeah. And... Uh, you know, and what I would say is that the you know one feeds the other now because you know you know you might be hired primarily for audio and they'll bring lighting and just you know it goes back and forth mm -hmm. and um, and then sometimes we do events where we just do one thing so I mean I do functions all the time now where I'm not just I don't go in as a lighting designer or director I I go in as a was well, a client rep you know as a Account executive, I guess you'd say, and because we'd be doing some sort of you know complex audio installation, so so I wear a number of different hats in my work. Um, what I do know is what the client wants and expects, and um, and so it's my job, whether it's lighting, audio, or we do offer video services, to make sure that you sub that out, right? No, no, no. no we own, we own, we own. We own. Yeah. A decent amount of, we know some Barco 14Ks and Barco 8Ks and yeah. flat screens. We, we don't, you know, nice it's respectable. Yeah. No, no, I always say it because it's, you know, video can be a dangerous business to buy into. It can be. Because, you know, if, you're, if the stuff isn't out there making money every second, the, the bills start to pile up and you can't use a projector for as long as you can use a moving light. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, We've done very well by it. And I mean, we, we, we have the we have the the right amount of equipment that enables us to do some pretty nice things, and um, and so so now it's very common for us to be retained for the whole thing, the whole package. Yeah. That's great. You know, stage decks too, so we, we can do a fair size show or two simultaneously. Yeah. So I know I know when you first started there. You know, I know LM is based in Staten Island, mm -hmm. and you were essentially just sort of working in New York, in Manhattan. Yes. Um, Communications-wise, how did that work? You know, how how did you integrate that workflow into what seems to be like you know everyone everyone being at, at Staten Island? Sure. Well, you know the the kind of interesting interesting thing about having a shop that's like 
a ways away from the city, is that you, you really take great care to make sure you don't forget anything. <laughs> because it's just really, it just a, it's just really a lousy experience to have to bring something in. And so we work very hard to not forget anything. And so it's, it's a great discipline creator because... But you have to walk that careful line not to bring everything in sometimes, too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a hard balance on that. But with regards to communications, it's really pretty simple. I mean, you know, actually in the beginning, we now have an office down in, in Midtown. But uh, in the beginning, I was just... Uh, you know, had my cell phone and my computer, and and I got to know every Starbucks in the city because <laughs> you know I would just bop around. You know, because you know ninety plus percent of our work is in Manhattan, and so I just was uh, I would you know, talk to the shop, and I would go out. I actually I would go to the office, the Staten Island office, much more than I do now, because we were really building something. So it was very important to have. You know, a face-to-face connection as we were building this this new you know, division and this new dynamic for the company. Yeah, that's the way it worked, and then eventually we evolved into having an office and just you know, I didn't have, I got out of the coffee shop scene. Which was nice. So, what would you suggest to someone that's leaving undergrad or grad school and coming to New York or to any other any other major city, uh, trying to find a path that doesn't necessarily involve? Just hanging lights for the foreseeable future. You know, it's it's interesting because you know I never had a planned career path, but, and I really just like this is just what my whole life evolved into. You know, I have a bachelor of arts in theater. I have a master of fine arts and design. I work for theatrical stage equipment companies. I've done you know when I was in San Antonio, Texas, right after undergrad, I was like one of three lighting designers in all of San Antonio, Texas. In Chicago, I just bopped around doing stuff here and there. And then, you know, I just sort of like fell into this. And it, it wasn't really my grand plan. And so it's, it's a little hard for me to say, well, what path would I advise someone to take? Because I didn't take one. I just sort of like, I, I just knew that I liked lighting. That's what I knew. And I kept on doing it because it's, I've been, I've been doing it forever. I've been doing it for over 30 years, you know? And, um, so what I, I guess what I would say is that I think it's just really important to be just incredibly open to possibilities and to finding, you know, and to apply your creativity in as many different ways as possible. Cause like, there's a whole world out there of people who need great design eyes. And so whatever niche you eventually fall into or find, you can apply your theatrical, well, I'm assuming people, I, I mean, my background was in theater, so I'm thinking like theater undergrad students who get out and come to New York City or whatever. Well, you know, most likely, I mean, I, I think that uh, Al Crawford told me that that he estimated that there were 1,500 new lighting design grads every single year. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a ton. Yeah. But you know what? I think I think there's work for all of them. I don't think there's work for all of them doing what they think they want to do. But there, I, I really think that there's a huge need for excellent design eyes in a number of different fields. Mm-hmm. Architecture, you know, theater, sure, you know, special events, 
I wish there was actually more people who were theatrically trained in the special events business. I think it would transform the whole thing. It'd be fantastic. Well, tell, tell me about that. Tell me. Well, because you you come to you, you come to an event with uh, just the whole the whole idea of a concept is something that's just very theater, and it's just very theater oriented. Like because in the theater you have a script, and you and the director and the designers and the actors all sit down and you all like read the script. And so this central idea is something that's somehow actually unique to theater. And so when you go into a meeting with event designers, event planners, and so on and so forth, to talk about whether it's a wedding or a corporate product launch, whatever it might be, you're bringing to that your theatrical training. Well, so what are we trying to accomplish today? And like that's actually a radical thought. You know, oh, well... Okay, yeah, well, we're going to do this. And I've, I've, I've had clients like revolt against that kind of thinking. It's like, what do you mean? We're we're just throwing a party, and these things should be lit up. And it's that. Yeah. Come well, on. Tell, you tell me about what. <laughs> what's yeah. your feel? What's your yeah. what do you want? Yeah. So what 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 are we what are we setting up to do? And I don't talk about it in sort of high minded sort of way. Sure. I just I talk about it like, well, what are we what are we going to do here? And. And by and large, the reaction to that question is overwhelmingly positive. It's like, oh, wow, that's a really great question, you know? And, and so I feel that theatrically trained people bring, bring something that people who, who sort of fell into it via other paths don't have. Unless they just happen to, you know... Maybe have that, have that mindset, have that mindset yeah. or maybe they're great writers, or maybe they have something else that they've done where thinking in a unified, conceptual sort of way is something they bring to their work. So, uh, on the special events, especially on the sort of the social special events side of, of things, pin spot the florals and uplight the walls has kind of become a trope, you might say, uh, to, to the point where clients will simply ask for that as their lighting, and that's it. And that's what they expect before talking to you, before figuring out, before, you know, sort of discussing any what might be the right thing. So how, how do you have a conversation with a client that has made that decision? Um, one, m there might be things that are way better for the, the event. And two, where maybe uplighting the walls is wrong, maybe pin spotting the florals is wrong, or maybe both are wrong. Right. Well, what I would say is that steering the conversation towards a path where you know the client will get what they need, even though they don't know that's what they need, is, is probably one of the uh, things that's taken the longest for me to learn how to do. And now I do it with relative ease uh, compared to in the beginning. You know, unlike in the theater, or at least my experience in the theater, you know, sort of this healthy verbal dialogue, this little discussion, active discussion, where between the director and the designers and whomever else might be in the room, you know, having this healthy dialogue about, you know, well, I don't think that's the right choice. And you could say that, I don't think it's the right choice. Well, in, in the world of special events, no or any, any perception of negativity is not uh, taken very well. And, and so what is taken well is being positive and coming up with creative ideas and, and coming up with creative ideas on the spot. And so what I'll say, if we're in a particular venue which doesn't particularly lend itself to, let's say, uplighting, I will immediately say, you know what, I think that's a really great idea. However, 
or I might say something along those lines. You know, you know, I, I get what you're trying to do. We want to, we want to create ambiance and atmosphere. Why don't we go in this direction instead? Why don't we do this really beautiful, like, you know, idea on the ceiling? Why don't we make it a visual statement elsewhere? And honestly, the client, by and large, you know, especially if they're just open people, and they are. I mean, they they want their they want their event to be great. They they want to have a great evening. They want their friends and guests to just have a fabulous time. They they want to have a great experience. And so they're like, oh yeah, well that's uh, you know, that sounds great. Yeah, let's go there. And particularly if you're working with an event designer, and I have to say that the event designer does steer the event designer, the event florist does steer the conversation. Particularly with you're working with an event designer who is open to going in that direction, you know the path to getting the client what they what they should have to make their event look everything it should be is is much easier. So really, it's a matter of just listening. You know, it's all a matter of listening and trying to hear what it is they want to create. And sometimes, honestly, all they want to create is just something very simple, and that's okay too. I mean, outlining pencil line looks fabulous. It always does. I mean, there's a few venues where it's, it's difficult, but I mean, in the right setting, it's it's a wonderful look. But sometimes you need to steer the conversation to say, you know, I understand what you're trying to do. But let's uh, let's go in this direction and and uh, see what you think about this. And you, so you have to be like on the spot, creative, all the time, and ready with an answer, and not you know, they actually, they, they they kind of expect you to like have another idea right away. And that's, you know, that's something you have to just kind of get practice of doing, you know, pull out your bag of tricks and say, oh, well, we do this or this or this. Mm, that makes sense. Um, what's, a, what's a signature event that you could tell us a little more in depth about? Like one you've done, let's say, in the last 12 months that you can really get into the meat of what you did, what the company did, and how you did it. Sure. Well, you know, there was one I did last December in the Velez Blanco patio gallery at the Metropolitan Museum of Art and it was a small private social dinner and uh, the event designer said you know we, we want to create this sense of a, of a, of a forest in this gallery and uh, and so this was actually a very small function but it's, it's, it's now one of my most memorable because I have to say I was surprised to find out that pretty much any room in the Met can be rented you just need to be at the level of membership or above that's correct and you need to have the cash that's right. But almost any any room is, is up for grabs. I just figured it was just Endor. No, no. It's all about the first get around. It, you know, it depends on what it might be. But, uh, but we did these, but I, I came up with this idea for, uh, you know, these, these brand, these tree, tree projections on the uh, sides of the walls. And a very simple idea, but actually, honestly, it didn't use more than a dozen lights in the end, all the glass gobos with this, with this very... This, with this particular combination of tree-like branches that were, you know, pulled out of the stock catalog, and it was it was probably like for me uh, one of the most satisfying things I've done because well, I do all actually I'm pretty satisfied with what I do all the time, but I mean this one was really special, and because it was so unified, the, the room was completely transformed. It was something that I didn't have the opportunity to do before. Um, 
So that was just a great looking function that was highly creative. I got to really bring my creative juices to it in a way that maybe I don't typically. And uh, just had a wonderful, wonderful experience. Well, so what was the conversation you had with the planner? Make the room look like a forest. <laughs> but a winter, a went like wintry, you know, wintry, so, you know, bare branches, no leaves. And, you know, it's the kind of thing you had to sort of see it. I have some great photos that won't be very applicable right here. In the well, we, we can post them. Yeah. But uh, it, was a, it was a great, it was a beautiful function. So, I mean, I guess that was a signature special event. I mean, special to me. But. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on there for a second, because, so what. What are the parameters of working within a space like Metropolitan Museum of Art? Oh. And what did you have to do to uh, okay. not run afoul of them and the things they expect? Sure. Well, it's very simple. It's all about the art there. It's very simple. So anything that... The, the number one guideline is that everything revolves around the safety of the artwork. So once you know that, and we actually as a company do many events at the Met, um, and we know the guidelines for working there. And the number one guideline is, it's all about the art. So, so working within this particular gallery, there's some guidelines that you have to make sure that you, you know, nothing can be within, uh, the, the common phrase is nothing can be within falling distance of the art. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to design in such a way that if something were to fall, which, we work very hard to make sure that's not going to happen. But if it were, you know, then nothing would get hit. So that's the... And what about light falling onto our work? Oh, uh, no, we don't. Well, so, you know, we don't like sculpture. We don't like... like So we'll, we'll paint the walls around, around the room, but we don't like the sculpture itself. With the exception of in the Temple of Dinder, where the temple gets lit all the time. Mm -hmm. But is there any concern about... Um, degradation brought on by the amount of light that comes out of the fixtures or anything like that? The curators there review all the lighting plans and sign off on them. So once you have the curator's blessing, uh, that's the that's the key. No, that's good. So at least you don't have to find out on the day of that someone has a problem with it. You've submitted plans and they've signed off, so that's correct. it's not like... It's not like it's a surprise. No, that's right. There are you know, surprises that are actually frowned upon. And you're working a lot of landmark venues. You know, what, are there some guidelines you can share with us about, you know, either, let's say a place that, um, you know, doesn't have the kind of robust staff that the Met has, or maybe isn't quite as, um, you know, they don't have like a list of rules and regulations, but, they, you know, but, but these are things that you should know going into a landmark venue. Well, we work, we do a lot of work with the uh, Frick Collection on the 70th Street. And, um, you know, again, just taking great care. And that, that's... You know, you're you're always going into someone else's house. Is what it boils down to. You know, you know we we're we're always going to places where we've been invited. Aside from the the Met, where we're a preferred vendor, we don't have a lot of exclusive relationships where we're the sole lighting or audio vendor. And so, you know, the guideline is is go in and respect the space. And that might sound obvious. But it's actually not to a lot of people because, you know, time and again, you have to go in and really remind yourself that this doc guy works here every day and this venue manager works there every day. And, um, you know, whomever it is that opens the door works there every day. And you have to go in and 
be respectful of their world because you're you're just guests there for the day. So the guidelines aren't necessarily written. It's just that you know you go in and be a nice person and you know don't start running around and you know making a mess, which might sound might sound obvious, but but it's very easy to forget. You know, over the course of many 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 events, you're always going to think you argue that that you're 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 a guest there for the day, and that's that's what I would say. The guideline is 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 know that that's not your house; that's someone else's. How do you impart that to your team? I just tell them all the time, <laughs> constantly reminding, in a friendly way. We're here for the day. Throw your trash out. You know, do those things. Do, do treat the place with, with respect. And they get that. Everyone gets that. It's like, yeah, I want to come back to. Well, that all makes sense. Um, what uh, what technologies do you lean on most primarily now, and how do you see that changing over the next five or ten years? Sure. Well, I, I think with regard to lighting, I mean, the, the, the world, the universe of, of LED fixtures, LED-based fixtures, is just like, just changing everything. And particularly for what we do, which is very fast, it's fantastic. And the quality of the light's getting better, the quality of the color's getting better, um, the ease of, of installation is a dream. And so I really think that in the, in the lighting world, just, and, and particularly in the special, when I, say, when I say special events, I mean, there's all kinds of special events, but I'm, I'm talking mostly about like four to five hour dinner receptions or product launches. It's something that's of a fairly short duration. Yeah, that's totally because special events can also mean things where it, it, it was be, a week long, you know, yeah. there was a month yeah. a month long planning process exactly. and then a build in a, sh you know, and then a, build in a right. shop and then a pre-tech right. and then a week of installation and then the show is three days long. Exactly. So I don't really do that that much. But it's, it's, an, important, it's an important distinction. Exactly. So my world of special events, it takes place over the course of, a, of an evening 95% of the time. And so... For what we do in lighting, going in and creating you know, a wonderful bang for your buck that looks great, fabulous, can be changed in color, you know, like that, without even, uh, you know, just so easy to make changes, which you do come up, that the whole business of LED uplights, uh, you know, the source for LEDs, all these things are, are just wonderful. And the fact that we can, uh, you know, the City Theatricals, Little Show Baby, I love those things, they're great, you know, just being able to do things so much easier, you know, everyone, everyone wants their rooms uplit, everything, everybody wants to look great, and then, and then, well, what's this cable on the ground, what's this, what's that, what, what is all this stuff? Well, the technology is, is enabling that stuff to go away, and that's really changing everything, and it's wonderful, I mean, you know, I don't have to, there's so many things I don't have to think about now that I used to have to think about all the time. I'm glad you mentioned the show baby and the, and the show DMX system, because it's, I, I feel like I started seeing a lot of, especially sort of lower manufacturers start building in wireless into everything, mm -hmm. and it's, City spent a lot of time thinking about how wireless works and how the wireless DMX has to work, and I don't know that everyone has, and I think throwing wireless stuff out there into the world without a thought about how it works and how it interacts with other wireless things can be potentially dangerous and, you know, is a recipe for interference and all of that 
help and simplicity that you want going away and being replaced by, well, now we have to run cables or anything because we're having problems with the system. Right. Well, you know, I guess the with the products that we're using, we're we're not running into those issues. I mean, we have a limited range of of like let's say LED wireless up light fixtures that uh, you know there was some trial trial and error involved in figuring out what worked, but uh, you know they're they're working out great, and I love it. You know, if I have to say it is it is an adjustment. You know, the the, the thing about the whole wireless, well, not just wireless, but the whole LED technology is that, you know, color theory, all the color theory that I learned in grad school is, can be, I think, completely upended, you know. Just really? having to, I, I think, I think you have to learn how to deal with this new, this new light source. And it's, it's changing. I'm having to think about things a little differently than I used to. And of course, then sometimes there's just nothing replacing a conventional fixture at all. Oh, what are those situations? Uh, landscape lighting, you know, I would say right that right off the bat, there's just there's just like no LED light that I know of at the moment that will effectively like apply to grove trees or something like that, other than a bunch of source four cars, which are fantastic. They look great. They 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 catch the leaves and trees just like nothing else does. So, I don't think that's going by away by any stretch. But when it when we're in those situations where it can be easily replaced, and I'm not saying there isn't some compromise sometimes because I think there is, but the the benefits uh, being realized now with regard to ease of installation and a clean installation and the ability to offer a client you know changes without having to you know change out gel or anything like that, or just, just outweigh those compromises uh, by a long shot. Yeah, it's worth mentioning that you know, even though you're not seeing any of the power savings benefits of using these fixtures, you're still saving sort of time and heartache trying to tune the thing to look the way you want, yeah. that, that your client wants. Right. Yeah, time and heartache are huge, and they're very valuable. And so... It's, it's not just power benefit. It's not just power savings that, that, that benefit us when you know in situations like this. Yeah, that, that's because the power savings are minimal in swapping out you know five source four powers to five desired E60s. Exactly. Yeah. So that really the whole power business really means nothing to me. You know, what what means something to me is being able to like set up this thing in like ten minutes. Well, it does mean a little something because when you walk into a room that doesn't have a tie-in, right? Sort of. Yeah. Room. That's where the LEDs also become an amazing yeah. source where you're like, awesome, 20 amp circuit, 20 amp circuit, everything's good. Yeah. I, I love it's it. It's great when a room doesn't have power. Yeah. Which is absolutely something that you're going to run into doing these fiber hour load and one off events in spaces that were, you know, that are not venues. Right. It's great. I'm all for it. I, I, I just want the color quality to continue to improve, which it is. Yeah, it just seems like it's going in that direction. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. LEDs with high co- with high quality color are never going to be inexpensive. I know. I, I feel like right. there was a you know this expectation that it would also be cheap, and right. nothing that renders color well in the world of LEDs is cheap. Yeah. No, we we charge whether we're outlining with. I just mean what you pay for the you, fixture. Yeah, exactly. The fixtures. I mean, you know, a, a decent LED uplight wireless fixture is a thousand bucks. Yeah. 
that's why they cost. No, we, we're not. Then there's no there's no savings to be passed. The, the, what you're passing along to the client is a cleaner installation yeah. and and the ability to make uh, more creative choices uh, or changes instantly. And so that has its own value because the fixture is you know ten times as much as a par forty six. <laughs> so it's. Uh, Anything that you want to tell us? Like anything that we haven't had that you want to let us know? I guess what I would say with regard to my profession and, you know, I came about it. And I came about my what I'm doing now and the way I came about it just sort of happened. And, and I kept on just doing what I wanted to do, you know, as far as just staying in my profession, being a light designer and doing small things and big things and everything in between is that, you know, in the end, I, honestly, I love what I do. I love it. I don't care if it's tiny or gargantuan. I, I love going into an event, and whether it's complex or simple, creating an environment and uh, for an evening. And, uh, and I'm constantly fulfilled in that way. Sometimes, I, I figure on average about once a month, I'm like, wow, that was really fantastic. About once a month. So 12 times a year, I'm just like blown away by what we got to work on. And the other two or 300 events, I'm just like a professional doing what I do, but always very satisfied with the end result. And always just like, you know, I always feel like I'm, I'm reinventing the wheel every time I walk into an event to and I'm actually going with a, a certain amount of like, sort of this healthy, I think it's healthy anyway, this healthy sort of uncertainty. Like, well, you know, maybe I'll discover something new today. And, and so I, I constantly keep the door open to seeing a new possibility, which for me is fun. And, and so, so almost every event, there would be some little tweak or some new little thing that I'll bring to it that I'll find that I hadn't, I hadn't arrived thinking about. And so the work is always fresh. It's always satisfying. It's never, um, it's never routine. I mean, it might seem routine for some things, but it's always, there's always something new. And so, you know, I had, a, I had a grad school professor. He was my drawing instructor. I think Sal Tagliarino at NYU wonderful, wonderful instructor. And, uh, you know, I, I did my best learning how to draw. I didn't really do that well. But he always said, um, he said, okay, you're either on or you're off. And, you know, which do you want to be? Well, I mean, the answer was on. You know, so the whole thing is, is that when I walk into an event or, or doing my work, I'm just on. And it's great. It's so much fun. And so I, I love what I do. I love what I do every day. And Sometimes I have challenging days, but I'm always, I always love what I do. So I, uh, I love the way I fell into this business that I never had any idea I was going to fall into it. So it's great. All right. Thank you, Richard. That's a beautiful way. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thanks for downloading the Casting Live podcast. Big thanks to our guest, Richard Tatum. You can visit him and LM Sound and Light on the web at lmsound.com. More big thanks to my co-host, Teresa Unfried of Taj Event Productions. You can visit them on the web at tajeventproductions.com. 
This has been the Casting Light Podcast, a production of Casting Light Incorporated. Visit us on the web at castinglightpodcast.com, on Twitter at Podcasting Light, and on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Merritt. Thanks for listening, and have a good show.